Welcome to Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio, keeping you connected to your faith and your world. Teresa tackles the issues of faith and culture, the pro-life message, and media awareness. And now, here's Teresa Tamio. Happy New Year. Happy Monday. It's January 8th, 2024. Appreciate my wonderful producer, Andrew Kruchek, and of course, Vanessa Denhagarmel for holding down the fortune meal. I was off for several days last week, came down with a really bad virus, and it went right to the vocal cords and lost my voice. And it's about 90% back. I was talking with Anna Mitchell on the Sunrise Morning Show this morning. And so, God willing, if it holds out, we'll continue with the show, obviously. But just pray for my voice because I want to make sure it stays strong. So excited about the show today. We have the one, the only, Dr. Matthew Bunsen from EW Chen joining us, fresh back from Rome in a fantastic conference that was put on by EWTN and other organizations honoring the one-year anniversary of the passing of the amazing Pope Benedict XVI. Beautiful conference, and Matthew gave a powerful talk. I was able to watch uh, quite a bit of it, and you can still see the talks on YouTube, on EWTN's YouTube channel, which I will highly recommend. And we'll talk with Matthew about the conference, about Benedict XVI. We have a beautiful clip from his talk, about a two-minute clip we'll open the next uh, segment with. And we're also going to get his response to the backlash on the blessings document. There's a big pushback, so much so that the Vatican felt it necessary to release what they called a clarification. They called it a press release, and it was five pages. And I was just talking with Vanessa Denhagarmo in my show that we do every Monday in the first hour. We call, do a segment called In the News. Nobody sends out a five-page press release. If you're sending out a five-page press release and you feel you have to clarify that much, then your message wasn't that clear in the first place. So... Houston, we have a problem. So we'll talk about that with Dr. Matthew Bunsen. Of course, we're saying this respectfully, and we're talking about the church with love because we are concerned, and we do have a right to express our you know, concerns uh, respectfully and lovingly. But at the end of the day, we know what Jesus says about the church in Matthew 16, 18. I'm going to let you look up that verse if you don't know it. And then we'll speak with Katie Daniel. She's a state policy director from the Susan B. Anthony Pro-Life America. She's been on with us many times. Some good news from the courts, by the way. Federal court blocking Biden's agenda of forcing emergency doctors to abort babies. So we'll have details on that. And we'll also talk, of course, about the March for Life. Can you believe the March for Life is a week from Friday? Yes, the 19th. So excited. I've been asked to be the field reporter again. So uh, let me know if you're going to go. I'd love to see if we can catch up with you somewhere in D.C., maybe do an interview. All right, weather-wise, we have a lot of news to get through. So let me get to the weather. Major winter storm impacting the lower 48 this week. We have significant winter storms tracking across the states. Blizzard conditions for the plains and the Midwest. Strong to damaging winds, severe thunderstorm, and heavy rainfall from the deep south through the northeast expected through tomorrow. And then the Pacific Northwest is also going to get hit, and New Jersey is supposed to get a ton of rain. So be careful out there, especially if you're traveling or in any of those affected areas. So again, for our show today, Dr. Matthew Bunsen and Katie Daniel from the Susan B. Anthony Pro-Life America Group. Right now, though, we do have a lot of news, as I mentioned, to get through on a busy Monday, January 8th. So let's get started. Thaddeus Jones at the Vatican tells us that Pope Francis yesterday baptizing 16 infants for the feast of the baptism of the Lord. Under the magnificent frescoes of the Sistine Chapel, Pope Francis presided over the Mass on the Feast of the Baptism of the Lord, recalling how the Lord's gift of faith to these children, the newly baptized, shows how they were also protagonists of the ceremony since they give witness of how to receive faith. Although the children were all silent as the Pope spoke, the Pope said it only takes one to give the first note and the concert starts. In fact, he said, should they cry, let them cry, he said. Also, if they're hungry, to feed them. He said, they decide on this feast day as they prepare to receive the gift of faith. In fact, the Pope continued, let them be an example of faith to us. May they show us how to receive our faith with innocence and with open hearts. Romeo, yo te bautizo en el nombre del Padre, y del Hijo, y del Espíritu Santo. Pope then went on to baptize each child one by one, welcoming each into the faith. 
Addressing then the godparents who'd been accompanying the children with their parents, the Holy Father said that they should be of help to the children as they accompany them in their growth, because this too is a way to help the faith, he said, and he thanked them for their witness. The Pope also praying the Angelus on Saturday, the Solemnity of the Epiphany of the Lord, with pilgrims gathered in St. Peter's Square. In his remarks ahead of the traditional Marian prayer, the Holy Father invited the faithful to reflect on the scene of the Magi, who after wondering about the apparition of a star, set out for Bethlehem to find Jesus and offer him their gifts. The three wise men said the Pope did not find a prince or a nobleman, but a simple child, the child of poor people, and recognized in him the presence of God, prostrating themselves before him. Their experience, he added, is important for us as well. In the child Jesus, we see God made man. It invites us to wonder at his humility, as they did. In other news this morning, Israel says it has dismantled the military framework of Hamas in the northern Gaza Strip. An IDF spokesman making that claim over the weekend on the eve of the three-month mark of the Israel-Hamas war and said the military was now focused on dismantling the Palestinian militant group in central and southern Gaza. Secretary of State, meanwhile, Antony Blinken, meeting with the King of Jordan as he began the second day of a week-long diplomatic tour of the Mideast. He said yesterday the U.S. has an intense focus on preventing the conflict in Gaza from spreading. He has upcoming stops in the United Arab Emirates, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, and Israel, along with the occupied West Bank. John O'Halloran tells us a high school girls' basketball game in New York canceled mid-game following anti-Semitic remarks being directed toward players on one team by their opponents. The game was on Thursday evening in Yonkers between Roosevelt High School and the Leffel School, a private Jewish school based in Hartsdale. The New York Post reports that during the game, Roosevelt players hurled anti-Semitic and pro-Palestinian remarks at Leffel School players. That led to the Leffel School coach opting to forfeit the game and remove his players from the court about an hour into the contest. Roosevelt's principal has since apologized for the incident and said disciplinary action will be taken. In Israel, traveling, former Vice President Mike Pence said he is not endorsing any of the remaining GOP presidential candidates, at least not for now. Pence making the comment on CNN's State of the Union during a weekend visit to the Holy Land. Pence saying he hopes Republican voters get the party a fresh start and elect new leadership. He said he thinks very highly of former U.S. Ambassador to the U.N. Nikki Haley and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, adding... Former Jersey Governor Chris Christie has been a friend, he said, for many years. He did not, however, mention any other GOP candidates, including former President Donald Trump. Meanwhile, Penn says the events at the Capitol on January 6 and 2021 were not an insurrection, and he does not believe Trump violated the 14th Amendment and that he should remain on primary ballots. These efforts uh, to take the decision away from the American people are really antithetical to the very democracy that uh, the President Biden and many Democrats talk about wanting to defend. The former vice president responding to a Washington Post University of Maryland poll last week showing one-fourth of Americans believe the FBI instigated the events of January 6th. And a conservative group, as Brian Shook tells us, suing the government over the alleged wrongful death of January 6th participant Ashley Babbitt. Babbitt was shot and killed by law enforcement during the 2021 attack on the Capitol. The lawsuit was filed in a California court on Friday on behalf of Babbitt's estate and her husband for wrongful death and assault and battery. The suit claims U.S. Capitol Police Lieutenant Michael Byrd was negligent when he shot Babbitt once in the shoulder after she joined a mob breaking into the Capitol building. The lawsuit also alleges Babbitt posed no threat and that Byrd violated use of force protocols that led to her death. Texas Governor Greg Abbott saying he's still waiting on a response to multiple letters he sent to the White House with suggestions he has regarding the southern border. He says he even personally handed those letters to the president and the secretary of Homeland Security when they visited El Paso. Outlining five things that they could do uh, that would eliminate the crisis at the border. Meanwhile, House Speaker Mike Johnson has three words to help ease the southern border crisis, stem the flow. Louisiana Congressman speaking on CBS's Face the Nation while leading a delegation of more than 60 Republicans in Eagle Pass, Texas, at the Mexican border. He said he wants the Biden administration to reinstitute the Remain in Mexico policy, saying local officials told him that would stem the flow of immigrants trying to cross the border by around 70%. Congressional leaders are announcing a budget agreement that will keep the government funded through 2024. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and the House Speaker Mike Johnson making a joint announcement of a nearly $1.7 trillion deal on Sunday. 
And when a hole was blown open on an Alaska Airlines plane headed from Portland, Oregon to California on Friday, the depressurization was explosive. Headrests were torn from seats, the cockpit door was forced open, and a shirt even torn off a child. The head of the National Transportation Safety Board chair, Jennifer Homendy, says using car seats for young children is important during flights. Put their children under two in their own seat uh, in a FAA-approved car seat so that they are secure and that they are safe in case something like that this happens. None of the babies was hurt. The investigation continues. The National Weather Service issuing a flood watch for the entire state of New Jersey as an impending storm is expected to bring heavy rains to the region tomorrow. The storm forecast to begin tomorrow and last into Wednesday, dumping up to four inches on northern New Jersey and two to three inches in the south. And a new college football national champ will be crowned in Houston. That will happen tonight. The Michigan Wolverines are set to face the Washington Huskies in the college football playoff national championship. Michigan entering fresh off a 27-20 takedown in Alabama in the Rose Bowl. And Washington is coming off a 37-31 victory over Texas in the Sugar Bowl. When we come back, Dr. Matthew Bunsen from EW Chan joins us. We take a look at a beautiful conference held on the passing and the honor of the passing one-year anniversary of the passing of Benedict XVI. We'll also get his reaction to the latest response from the Vatican following a lot of pushback on that blessings document. Stay tuned. Would you get on a plane that doesn't have a pilot? Investing in passive index mutual funds may present the same issue. The Ave Maria mutual funds are actively managed by seasoned investment professionals to help you meet your investment goals in a morally responsible way. Ave Maria funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors could invest in the no-load Ave Maria mutual funds. You can learn more about the Ave Maria mutual funds at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. When the need for senior care arises, home is where the heart is. Visiting Angels provides home care for mom or dad up to 24 hours per day, including personal care, meals, and light housework. You may select your professional caregiver with Visiting Angels. More information at visitingangels.com or at 877-374-LIVE. That's 877-374-LIVE. Visiting Angels, America's choice in senior home care. Hello, Steve Ray here. Everything in the Bible and in the Catholic Church starts with the book of Genesis. It reveals to us God's plan for mankind. Yet Genesis can be daunting, especially given the scientific discoveries of the last few centuries. Well, that's where I come in with my new book, Genesis, a Bible study guide and commentary. Discover a thoroughly Catholic approach to this exciting and dramatic ancient narrative that is so often misunderstood. You can get the book now on the store page at AveMariaRadio.net. Check it out. Back by popular demand is our trip through Portugal, Spain, and France. We start with a day in Fatima, following all the steps of the Little Shepherds. Santiago de Compostela, the ending point for the El Camino, is the home of the largest incenser. Visit the tomb of St. James the Apostle. Three days in Lourdes, which is quite indescribable. You'll have to come and see it to believe it. To learn more about your Ave Maria Radio trip, find the Ave Maria Radio travel tab at AveMariaRadio.net. Welcome back, Catholic Connection. It's a Monday morning, January 8, 2024. Great to be with you and great to have Dr. Matthew Bunsen back with us, of course. Really needs no introduction. But he just came back from Rome a couple of days ago after taking part in helping organize a beautiful conference on the passing of Benedict XVI, the one-year anniversary. And I loved your talk, Matthew. I, I told you about it. I texted you. I said it was fabulous. We did have a clip that we were going to play, but uh, unfortunately it's not there on YouTube any longer. But... What I loved about it is you were able to, as I said in my text to you, really uh, summarize the focus of not only his pontificate, but his many years in the church and as a cardinal and a bishop. And you did it so well. And there was so much material from which to choose. <laughs> How did you know how we exactly. have to narrow it down? What a challenge. Good morning. Well, I remember uh, there was a, a theologian, I think it was Henri de Lubac, who talking about the, the theology of Hans Rose von Balthasar, said that standing before it is like standing in front of some grand primeval forest yeah and to me when we stand in front of benedict's uh, mm -hmm. vast corpus or body of teachings it's like standing in front of the greatest cathedral that you'll ever hope to see Aww. 
yeah. with so many chapels, uh, but at the heart of it is still Jesus. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you're absolutely right. There's a, there's a mountain of material. He, in his decades and decades as a theologian, as a prefect, as a cardinal, and as Pope Benedict XVI, he reflected on pretty much every aspect of the faith. And yet, uh, one of the arguments or, or propositions that I was asked to comment on uh, was is Christ the center of his theology? So I think you can really make the case that yes, it is, that, that his theology is profoundly Christocentric and that everything is oriented toward that, in particular the relationship that we have to have with Christ and that flows then into discipleship. Yeah, I love the quote that you ended with, the quote from uh, when he took over as Pope in the beginning of his pontificate, but then also when he was dying and one of the sisters who was charged with his care heard him say, you know, Lord, I love you. And you close, the other quote that you had that I was going to play was to not be afraid to open wide the doors to Christ, which was phenomenal. Yes. Yeah, it's um, his installation was itself not just an event of the start of a new papacy, but it really was, uh, as is often the case with popes, a real blueprint for what he was trying to accomplish. But there's this level of continuity that existed in that initial homily of his, that start of his pontificate, because it connects him so profoundly with uh, John Paul II, uh, who himself talked about, be not afraid. Mm-hmm. And Benedict picked up that theme, but he was especially uh, in that opening homily of his, the very installation, he also talked about that the church is alive and the church is young. And he's absolutely right on both counts, that we have this image in our heads, certainly in in Western Europe and increasingly in North America, of the church as being stratified as elderly, uh, as uh, aging. And yet when we look around the world, uh, we see that the church really is young and the church is vibrantly alive. So tell us a little bit about the conference. I know that EW Chan was involved in it, and and who else spoke? I know that uh, Cardinal Mueller was there and and several others, uh, Cardinal Gaineswine, a great lineup of speakers, including yourself. Yeah, it uh, was a real privilege to uh, be a part of this. Uh, It was organized as an international conference uh, in honor of, uh, the title of it was Benedict XVI, Life, Teaching, and Legacy. Mm. And it was held in the Campo Santo Teutonico. I know you've been there, uh, which is uh, this small German enclosure, so to speak. Um, It's essentially a cemetery of of sorts within the walls of the Vatican Mm -hmm. City. And there's a beautiful chapel, but it also has... uh, Uh, some very lovely meeting facilities, and that's where this international conference was held. And it was uh, the 30th and 31st of December, obviously marking then uh, the the one-year anniversary, the passing of Pope Benedict. And there were several panels, uh, including Father Vincent Toomey, who's one of the greatest living scholars on Benedict, uh, along with uh, Father Federico Federico Lombardi, Lombardi, Mm -hmm. who... Mm-hmm. At one point was uh, Pope Benedict's uh, press secretary and who had worked with him for decades. Then uh, we had as well, as you mentioned, uh, Cardinal Gerhard Mueller. Uh, and then there was also a mass uh, in honor of uh, the one-year anniversary that was celebrated by Archbishop Georg Gainswein. Uh, and then another panel, uh, in this case with Cardinal Kurt Koch, uh, who was a longtime friend uh, with uh, Pope Benedict, and then also Father Ralph Weimann, uh, who is also uh, one of the great current scholars uh, in the writings of Pope Benedict. So much to, 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 to glean from his teachings, his writings, his books. Was there anything new, and you studied him extensively, that you learned or maybe a new insight you received from not only speaking at the conference, from being there and hearing so many other great speakers? Yeah, I, I think uh, for me, one of the most interesting questions uh, that scholars have been asking for a long time is, did Benedict Joseph Ratzinger have like a theological system? And the answer generally is no, that uh, unlike someone like von Balthasar or Karl Rahner, you could argue even Thomas Aquinas, um, not that I would equate some of those theologians with Aquinas, but you know what I'm saying in terms of the development of of a system of approaching how we look at theology. Generally, it's been of the view that Benedict or Joseph Ratzinger never really had a system. Rather, he looked at everything and then commented or brought to bear the immense gifts that he had. 
What is interesting is that uh, Father Vincent Toomey, I thought, had a, a great take uh, that Ratzinger may not have had a specific system, mm-hmm. but everything was systematized in his mind. Ah. Which is a great insight, I think, because when you look at someone like Joseph Ratzinger, Pope Benedict XVI, you can see that there is always order, mm-hmm. that it is very systematic, even if it isn't necessarily system. a system. Right, right. Well, when I think of him, and I could always tell, and I can still tell when I'm reading my Magnificat, when yeah. he writes the reflection, because it's just, it's, to me, it's so clear. That's the word I keep coming up with. That's right. Uh, and... When we have this relationship with Christ, which is what he calls us to, uh, one of the, the encyclicals that I really focused on in my presentation was Deus Caritas S, God mm-hmm. is Love, which is his first encyclical in 2007, where he talks about that this isn't, that we are having an encounter with an event, with a person, and therefore we have a relationship with that person. Now, you have to be very clear as a disciple what you believe. And as he points us all toward discipleship, what does he do? He, he helps to be very clear in the relationship that we're supposed to have, but then what we actually believe. Because if, if you're trying to dialogue with people, to invite them, to welcome them into a relationship with Jesus Christ, you have to be very certain about what you believe, or you're going to be confusing yourself and you're going to be confusing the person, but you're also going to have something of a malnourished and even deformed relationship with Christ. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So true. Talking with Dr. Matthew Bunsen, of course, Vice President and Editorial Director at EWTN, and he just came back from Rome. He spoke at a beautiful conference on Pope Benedict XVI one year after his death. I really think events like this, especially when you can have access to the talks, is super important because not everyone can get over there and go to these things, but to be able to air them as we did, but also to be able to go back and and listen again and to remember and to have experts such as yourself summarizing his great teachings and and theology and and what he left us, I think it's very helpful. Yeah, I I think the more that we can do to cherish the memory, but then... Mm -hmm. And this is one of the points of the conference. Here we are a year removed from his death. To be able to take the time now to begin reflecting, uh, as we should, on his writings, on his life, on his legacy. And we are a year removed, which means that we have a certain less uh, passion and grief uh, surrounding his passing, which was palpable a year ago. I mean, here we were about a year ago. We had the funeral. Uh, it, it fell essentially right around the time of Epiphany. We had come out of the, the Christmas holiday, the Christmas season, mm-hmm. and we had his passing. Now, a year on, uh, we have this opportunity to look back and really begin to ask ourselves, all right, what was the legacy, not just of Joseph Rosinger, but of Benedict XVI? And then to make that assessment. Now, this is a judgment. This is an assessment that is going to be going on for centuries. Mm-hmm. Uh, as uh, more popes come, as, as more theologians rediscover and, and discover anew uh, his theology, his thinking, in much the same way that here we are removed now since 2005 from the passing of John Paul II. And we are really seeing uh, more and more that his theology has stood the test of the last decades Mm -hmm. and that how he was in his own way so prophetic uh, in warning against the threats to the human person benedict was so prophetic and we're seeing it now just a year on removed from his death on the threats to culture on the threats of relativism flowing from many of those prophetic warnings on the part of john paul ii he also focused a great deal on beauty and how important it is in, in religious art. We don't have time to get into that right now, but that's another thing I appreciated about him because he understood that beauty was so, so important and also the lives of the saints. There's so much to talk about. We could talk about him forever. I do believe, this is my humble opinion, you're much more of an expert on this than I am, but I do believe that someday, probably not in our lifetime, but I think he will be declared a doctor of the church. What do you think? Yeah, that was uh, actually a great question that just bubbled up organically. Uh, throughout this conference, that the the questions is overhanging uh, any conversation about Benedict, about Joseph Rotzinger. 
And, of course, as, as you know, there are three things that you need to be declared a doctor of the church. The first is a formal declaration. That almost always comes from a pope, so that's something that we can't worry about. The second uh, is an eminence of teaching. In other words, that they leave behind a profound body of writings or influential work. That's certainly the case with uh, all of the, the doctors of the church. But then the other one is you have to be declared a saint. And that's the intriguing question to my mind. Yeah. Uh, is that something that uh, could happen down the road? Quite possibly. Uh, we'll have to see. It certainly yeah. uh, is there with John Paul II. And I, I expect he will be a doctor of the church at some point. Matthew, stay tuned. We're going to be right back. More with you. Get your reaction to the uh, release that went out or the clarification last week regarding the document on blessings. More with Dr. Matthew Bunsen. Stay tuned. Monday, January 8th, talking with Dr. Matthew Bunsen, who, of course, is our Vice President and Editorial Director, and also so much more, great theologian and teacher and author, over 50 books, and we're so glad to have him on the EWTN staff, and he just came back from Rome talking about Benedict. Switching gears a bit, uh, talk about something that's not so clear, to the point where the Vatican had to release a follow-up document to the Blessings document, which came out two weeks ago. And I was telling you during the break from with my media consultant hat on, no one issues ever, or if they are, then they're not very good communicators, a five-page <laughs> press release on anything, especially to clarify an original statement. Well, that's right. Uh, and for those who uh, may perhaps have skipped this somehow, uh, Archbishop, or, or now Cardinal, uh, Victor Manuel Fernandez, who is the a prefect of, since really July of the dicastery, what used to be the Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith, uh, issued on December 18th a uh, fiducia supplicans, which uh, has opened the door for blessings, separating distinctly between liturgical and pastoral blessings, and uh, that those who are in irregular situations or uh, same-sex couples can receive a what he describes as a simple uh, and a thoroughly uh, spontaneous blessing. It, it can't look anything like a regular blessing. And in Fiducia Supplicans, he also very vigorously defends the Church's teachings on marriage. The reception of that uh, declaration was, uh, to put it mildly, uh, quite uh, nuclear mm-hmm. on the part of a lot of the faithful around the world. I, I said on the News Nightly that uh, many of the faithful were confused, baffled, and even scandalized, uh, not necessarily by the document, because many of the faithful will never read the document, but what they were hearing in secular media and also progressive Catholic media, and then they're seeing on social media priests going well beyond uh, the intention of this document uh, in how they were doing blessings, including things like in churches, wearing stoles that, that looked a lot like some sort of a recognition of a same-sex union. And then we had uh, the bishops around the world, in particular the African bishops, uh, who expressed severe dis- displeasure, unhappiness, and concern for their faithful who might be scandalized and confused by this. And so Cardinal Fernandez issued a clarification, which was five pages long. Mm-hmm. As you noted, uh, it's never a good spot to be uh, when you have to do that. I, I think what, what's so uh, confusing to people, again, is what do you need this document in the first place for? Many of the priests with whom I'm speaking say, well, I, I don't need permission to bless someone. And, and we had a bishop on uh, one of our shows on Ave Maria Radio, Chaldean Bishop, Bishop Caliban, a wonderful bishop who said, I'm not asking people for their, for their sins if they come up to me in the airport or come up to me wherever, and they say, you know, Bishop or Father, can I have a blessing? So why was it even necessary, do you think, Matthew, to issue something like this? Well, supposedly uh, this was in response to requests that had been made for clarification about what is possible and what isn't. And one of the things that uh, is very clear in the original decree is that uh, he wanted to separate out, as I mentioned, liturgical blessings Mm -hmm. versus pastoral blessings. Now, theologians are already weighing in as to whether or not that's even possible. Uh, In the Eastern Catholic Churches, for example, the major archbishop of uh, the Ukrainian Catholics, uh, Greek Catholics, uh, said that this is simply not possible. 
uh, in the Eastern Catholic churches, that you cannot separate the two, and, and therefore priests are forbidden from doing this type of well, a blessing. Well, how do you separate it? There, there, there is a re- you don't bless the relationship, you bless the couple, but there are, it is a relationship because they are a couple. It makes no sense. Right. So this clarification then did something, I think, that was uh, notable. It was uh, in this uh, original decree, he did not really focus very heavily on the bishops. Rather, this was aimed toward uh, the individual pastors. In this clarification, he is speaking almost directly to the bishops of the world uh, in response partly to the Africans, but also to bishops across South America, Asia, and elsewhere uh, who expressed grave unhappiness in Eastern Europe uh, that this is not practical, that uh, this poses all sorts of severe problems. Many people, for example, have seen Cardinal Seurat's response to this just Mm -hmm. recently, Cardinal Mueller's response to this. He's speaking now to the bishops directly and giving them wide latitude in what they can do in loco, as he puts it, in their own diocese. But he also adds a provision that you have to do this. You have to find a way to make this work for you. Now, again, he's giving wide latitude to this. uh, And as as a gesture, he's also telling the bishops that, all right, I have seen your unhappiness about this but I don't consider this to be dissenting from doctrine. In part because the document itself, as he puts it, restates church teaching very clearly on, on marriage and, and what is appropriate in terms of relationships. Yeah, but the concern, though, of, and, yeah, yes. you and I could go back to <laughs> Humana Vitae. You know, wink, wink, yeah, it's church teaching, but how many people now follow that, right? I mean, a huge problem. Well, this is, this is the, the difficulty, and so several logical questions still hang on this. The, the first is, is he now going to issue a series of correctives? I can think, for example, of a, of a major social media priest who wasted no time after the mm-hmm. decree to have a simple and quote-unquote spontaneous uh, blessing of a same-sex couple uh, in his own apartment, and it just so happened that a photographer from the New York Times was there. How convenient. This was then posted across all of social media. We, we have all seen on social media similar situations like this. Now, what that means is that these are out there confusing the faithful. What is this? The other is what the Germans are going to do. Because Cardinal Fernandez has made it clear in this initial document and now again in this clarification that you cannot have liturgical blessings, you cannot have rites uh, that would be associated with these types of blessings because that's not what they're supposed to be. Now, he issues in this a sample blessing mm-hmm. that, yes, it, it seems very straightforward, yes, it seems uh, very simple, but that the question is, are we now also advocating a type of blessing for this, and and we're walking that line again uh, that I think is really alarming to a lot of bishops. Well, it's alarming in a lot of ways. I need need you to come back on because I know there's some continuing developments that you can't mention yet, but the other thing, too, is that it's somewhat, for me, the the Pope just said recently that looking at the um, the German church and looking at other churches where they say, well, we want women deacons, we want women priests, and he was looking at the churches that have allowed that, Episcopalians and others, and he said that's not the answer because look what happened to those churches. Those churches that are allowing those types of things, they're empty. It's not as if everyone is saying, ooh, I could have had a V8. Why aren't I going to Mass or church anymore if I'm going to these different places right. that are allowing this, that, and the other thing? And so then this comes out, and it really leaves you to, you know, to well, pray very hard, but also scratch your head. Matthew, well, I'd like to have you back We go all the way back, back to 1930 yeah, with the Lambeth Conference yep. that opened the mm-hmm. door to contraception and everything that has followed. Yep, absolutely. Great to talk with you. You're always so informative. And again, we've been discussing uh, two topics, actually, a beautiful conference that took place in Rome recently where our own Matthew Bunsen, EWTN VP and editorial director, spoke at a beautiful talk, the Center of Benedict's 16th Theology, Jesus Christ. Look it up on YouTube and the other talks as well. And also the continuing development and regarding the blessings document that came out about two weeks ago. Matthew, thank you so much. And I'm probably going to have you on very soon again as this story continues to develop. Privilege to be with you. God bless. God bless. And we'll be right back. It is a Monday morning, January 8th. The wonderful people from Susan B. Anthony, Pro-Life America, up next.
Catholic Connection on a Monday morning. It is January 8th. Great to be with you and always great to catch up with the wonderful work of our friends at the Susan B. Anthony Pro-Life America Group. And just a, a good decision, thanks be to God, from the courts. Katie Daniel is with us. She's a state policy director. Federal courts blocking Biden's agenda of forcing doctors to abort babies. Katie, thanks for joining us. Happy New Year. Tell us about this decision. Well, we've actually even got uh, breaking news late on Friday. The United States Supreme Court said they are going to hear this case. Um, So we should have an even better decision there. Uh, But what we saw last week was uh, the federal Fifth Circuit say that the Biden administration was wrong when they said EMTALA, which is a federal law that doesn't allow hospitals to uh, dump a patient on a different hospital if they don't have health insurance. Um, The Biden administration was interpreting that law to require elective abortions to be performed in violation of state laws. Texas went ahead and sued. They said, this is a law that protects mother and child. It's right there in the text. If a pregnant mother comes into a hospital, she and her baby need to be cared for. And that's in line with Texas law. So they filed a lawsuit. Uh, The Fifth Circuit agreed and said, it's the Biden administration who's getting this wrong um, another lawsuit out of the state of Idaho is doing something similar, and the Supreme Court's going to hear that case. Um, but they said, while they hear the case, Idaho's law, which is pro-life, it protects babies from conception, can remain in effect. Mm-hmm. So th- there are some good news then, but what's the Biden administration's response to these decisions or some of these pending decisions? Well, once again, the Biden administration is pitting mother against child. They're saying if a pregnant woman is in a state of distress, her baby is the enemy. Abortion is the only option. And they're trying to force doctors in the emergency room to perform an abortion rather than treating mother and child as two patients who have needs that run together. If a mother is suffering a medical emergency, so is her baby and vice versa. So pro-life doctors and the vast majority of doctors um, see two patients. They treat two patients. That's what the federal law asks of them. And it's the Biden administration who's in opposition to all of that. We're talking with Katie Daniels. She's the state policy director for the Susan B. Anthony Pro-Life America Group. Let me read you this story. I was talking about this on another show this morning, Katie, with uh, another host, Anna Mitchell. We're both news people. And so we were talking about how the media are covering this, which I'm sure you're well aware. This is a story that was on the wires this morning. The Supreme Court is allowing Idaho's abortion ban to go in effect, at least temporarily. The high court on Friday agreeing to hear a challenge to the state law which penalizes doctors who perform abortions in emergency situations and has scheduled arguments for April. So they're putting a real negative spin on this and claiming that the doctors are going to be punished. So the way that Idaho's law was previously written was a little bit confusing. Doctors actually raised this issue, and so the legislature went back and fixed it and made it crystal clear that doctors who are treating women in a life-saving emergency even if it means that the baby cannot survive, won't be punished. But Idaho law sees a mother and a child as both equal beings worthy of dignity, respect, and health care, and believes that both should be treated. Uh, The Biden administration says if a pregnant woman walks into an emergency room, abortion is the only treatment that she needs, when that's Mm -hmm. absolutely not true and often is going to go against her wishes. So what do we do about the image that's out there? Because we've been losing the state level in terms of some of these, these amendments that are coming up, Michigan, Ohio, others. And we're in Michigan. As you know, I'm in Michigan. It's just terrible what happened with Prop 3 in 2022 now. But the message has been basically hijacked by the Planned Parenthoods and the pro-aborts, and they're so good at the fear factor. And, and we cannot seem to get that back in terms of explaining to people what's actually going to happen versus what they're doing out there with their ads and with their campaigns. What do you think? Well, I think that this lawsuit and this case before the Supreme Court is a good opportunity for us to talk about this issue and say that when a pregnant woman walks into a hospital, there are two patients. She probably sees it that way. She almost undoubtedly does. She is there because of this healthcare situation. She wants herself and her baby to be protected. Her doctor hopefully sees it that way, um, but the law definitely does, at least in most of our states and, and certainly under this federal law. And so it is an opportunity to recapture this idea that both of them are deserving of care, of protection, and um, of compassion and love, 
and not pit them against each other. It's really, frankly, gross. Some of the media framing we've seen yeah. um, where they act like the child is the enemy mm-hmm. rather than uh, both of them being in medical distress and both of them deserving care. That's why I love the theme for the 2024 March for Life, With Every Woman, For Every Child. What do you yeah, think? I think it, it obviously fits well with um, our support for pregnancy centers, but also just this idea that, that they are in it together. And, and any mom who's been pregnant, any dad who's seen that baby growing, knows that they are in it together. So what else can we do? I mean, we, 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 when we talk to people one-on-one, that's huge, but we don't have the money that the Planned Parenthoods do. What else can we do? What else are you doing, organizations like yourself, are so out there on the front lines and just continue to battle this every day to, to get the argument out there and the understanding about this whole theme, really, with every woman for every child, that what we do, especially at you know, pregnancy help centers and, and the pro-life ministry, it's about working with both. Yeah, I think, you know, anyone can be talking about this um, with their family, with their community, um, especially with with children. You know, one of the things we've been looking at is the way uh, that kids are taught about this. A little child sees the ultrasound. They see the baby wiggling in the belly. They know that's a child. It's only as adults that we twist this in knots to say that it's not. And so I think any time you can be talking about the reality and the truth of the human person, um, certainly we know who, what the Catholic Church teaches on that, um, but you don't have to be Catholic to understand basic right. biology. And so speaking about that, um, recognizing it, and, you know, especially if you're a woman going to <laughs> your doctor, um, having an expectation that your doctor is treating you and the baby, you are both their patients. Uh, that's something I think has been a little bit scary to see how many doctors don't see two patients when our assumption was that they all did. Mm. Talking with Katie Daniels, State Policy Director for Susan B. Anthony, Pro-Life America. What's your website? You have such great resources, Katie, on your website. Uh, our main website is sbaprolife.org, and you can also find us at SBA Pro-Life on social media. Um, and we'll be updating a lot about these Supreme Court cases as more information comes through. Before we let you go, I also think it's, I just want to get your, your thoughts on this. I also think it's super important when you're in a discussion about these issues, and there will be a lot of those discussions, especially with these decisions coming down, but also the fact that we're in an election year now, a very important election coming up later in the year in November. Ask questions, right? Discuss. Like even, even things that happen in the culture, I think it's amazing. There's such a disconnect. There's so many movies out there right now that have a parenthood theme. There's one very violent film with, I think it's um, uh, Jennifer Lopez. It's called Mother. And I understand that the whole theme is about her protecting her daughter that she had was forced to give up for adoption. And there is this passion expressed about her protecting this child. And you have other movies that with similar themes where this idea of that bond between mother and child is so strong in the films. And yet Hollywood, the culture, thinks abortion is the be-all and end-all. There's such a disconnect there sometimes. There really is, and we, I think we've especially seen this around healthcare recently. So asking questions, saying that you deserve better, really advocating for yourself and your family is so important. I'm sure that you have been covering all the great work happening um, with Trisomy 18 families mm-hmm. there in Michigan. Um, that's something we need everybody to understand because we've seen so many people saying these children never survive, they never have a chance, but there are doctors who are helping these kids hit a great survival rate, and it will only get better as more investment is made into those treatments. So we've really got to get the message of hope out for all families. Um, that's something every mom <laughs> hopes for. She has a hope for her child in the womb. Um, we as a society have to extrapolate that out, hope for every child, and, and support for those moms and the dreams that they have for their kids. So I imagine you're going to have a big presence. Uh, gosh, it's a week from Friday. Can you believe it? January 19th at the March for Life, Katie? Yes, it's very soon. <laughs> we'll hope to, many of our team will be out there and we'll have our signs and be marching and hopefully uh, many of your listeners are able to go as well. Yep, well, I'll be there, God willing, and uh, I'll be out there on, on the street interviewing people and also doing our live coverage, uh, working with the team at EWTN News Nightly and in-depth. I'm so excited. I can't wait. I love covering the march. It's such an upbeat event. I mean, it's kind of like this you know, a mixed feeling you're there because you know what you're talking about, but at the same time you see the turnout of people and there's so much support for the pro-life cause. 
Katie, thanks so much. Again, give us your website before we let you go. SBAProLife.org. All right, my dear. And hopefully I'll bump into you next week in Washington, God willing. March Your Life, their theme this year with Every Woman for Every Child, as is the Susan B. Anthony Pro-Life America Group. We'll be right back to wrap up on Monday morning. Stay tuned. Thanks, Katie. It's time for Family Man with Dr. Gregory Popcha. We'd all love to do more to spread the gospel, but where do you start? One simple way is through the Ministry of Hospitality. People need places to experience godly fun and fellowship. Let your home be that place. Make your home the welcoming place the neighborhood kids like to hang out. Be the family that organizes the annual block party. Invite people over once a month for a meal or game night or other activity where you can build relationships and spread a little joy. Evangelization is all about creating connection and letting people experience the difference God's grace makes in our lives. By letting people experience how God's love is lived out in your family, you're sharing the gospel in a subtle but powerful way. To discover more ways your family can celebrate the liturgy of domestic church life, check out the newest editions of Parenting with Grace and visit CatholicCounselors.com. I'm Dr. Craig Popchak, but you can call me Family Man. To discover more ways faith can enrich your life, visit CatholicCounselors.com. There was a time during middle school when I felt isolated. One mean girl in particular targeted me and recruited other girls to do the same. It eventually resulted in me hanging out by myself most of the time. The reality is that every kid needs a buddy, but that's not always the case. A group of girls at St. Fabian Catholic School saw the need to promote friendships by teaching that the only way to have a friend is to be one. That inspired the purchase of the Buddy Bench. It's a simple idea to eliminate loneliness and foster friendship on the playground. It's all about spreading the message of inclusion and kindness. If a child is sitting alone, it was a signal to the other kids to ask him or her to play. No child should ever feel unwanted. The Buddy Bench is not only teaching children how to be a buddy, but how to have compassion for another person. It's communicating basic Christian values. Who knows, perhaps one day, sitting on that bench will be your kid's best friend. This has been a Christ Center Communication Message. I'm Vanessa Denhagarmo, a communications evangelist. Father Benedict Groeschel. Oh, I love reverence. Wherever I go in the world, I usually go to visit the religious buildings. And no matter what I see, I see reverence. Or I've been in temples and mosques where I saw more reverence and awe of God than I see in Christian churches, even sometimes in Catholic churches. Oh yes, let me say it. And when I was a boy, Catholics were much more reverent and respectful in church. You never, ever spoke in church. I was a young priest. A man had a heart attack at the beginning of Mass. I stopped the Mass. We prayed for the man while the police were coming, the ambulance. They removed him from the church. He didn't die. Not one word was spoken. The police officers and the ambulance attendants who came whispered, respect. I wish it were true today. EWTN. Live truth. Live Catholic. Welcome back, Catholic Connection, wrapping up a Monday morning. Good to be back with you. And just a reminder, the March Life coming up a week from Friday, if you can believe it, January 19th. The theme, again, is beautiful. It is with every woman for every child. If you do a search on the National Catholic Register website or Catholic News Agency, you will see a beautiful story. And this one was posted actually last year because it came out in November, the actual theme for the uh, conference and for the march. Uh, it's a very thorough story in terms of what Jeannie Mancini and, and the uh, the whole group are trying to do in terms of this message that we just spoke with, with um, the Susan B. Anthony list. It's so important because, unfortunately, the left has been extremely successful, as I mentioned earlier with uh, Katie Daniel, in hijacking this message and turning it into something of fear, that all kinds of health benefits and other issues are going to occur if these radical, and I mean radical to the nth degree, Amendments are passed. We saw this in Michigan in 2022. It's just horrible what we're having happen right now in, in our state of Michigan, not to mention Ohio and others that are facing this. And too many people don't bother to take the time to actually read the amendments on which they're voting. They just buy into the message, and the left knows that. Fear works. And anybody who has anything to do with the media know that fear works in terms of many of their messages are built on fear. Why do you think they cover so many car crashes and so many murders and so many negative stories? Because people are fearful 
and they tune in because it's the NIMBY factor. That's an acronym for not in my backyard. They want to make sure that it's not happening in their backyard, and they're fearful, and so they tune in. And they don't bother to, to dive in more deeply and to read the documents or to read the messages or to read the amendments. So it's super important that we don't do that, that we take the time, and we have so many great resources for you to do that, especially going into the March for Life with this theme. Get the word out there. Spread it. Post the articles that are on the register, Catholic News Agency, and the, and the links to the March for Life. With every woman for every child. What a beautiful message. And this is what the pro-life movement is about. It's not one or the other, it's both. And also about the family. And also I encourage people, and I talked about this with Mitchell this morning, if you don't know where your local pregnancy help center is in your area, find out and see what they need. Maybe they need a donation of clothing. Maybe they need a few hours for you to help out. These places are amazing. They do so much for women, babies, families, for the community. They make such a difference, and they don't turn anybody away. There's a lot of women in need that go to a pregnancy resource center to get clothes for their babies, to get food, to get bottles, to get you know a bassinet or something. Most of these help centers have beautiful places where the families can just walk right in and get whatever they need. So, again, this beautiful theme for the March for Life with every woman for every child. This is for the March for Life in Washington, which is a week from Friday. And then right after that will be, of course, the wonderful West Coast Walk for Life. <clears throat> Excuse me. And we'll be there. EWHM will be there. And actually, tomorrow on the show, Eva Montaigne is going to be joining us. And she is the organizer, as always, and the spokesperson for the wonderful West Coast Walk for Life in San Francisco. She'll let us know about all the speakers and everything that's going on. And, of course, EWHM will be there Friday at the March for Life in D.C. and then over the weekend for the West Coast Walk for Life. Talk to you tomorrow on a Tuesday. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio. Catholic Connection is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Our producer is Andrew Kruchek. For copies of this program or for more information, visit AveMariaRadio.net. That's A-V-E-MariaRadio.net. Thanks for listening and join us next time for another edition of Catholic Connection.